This is Fam Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air for the first time with Paul Zolman, a love language linguist. And thank you for being on the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. Thank you, Phantom. Glad to be here. So I want to let people know that we're a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You can see that listen on Newsly up there. Uh, if you use the coupon code of Ghost, you can get one month free premium subscription on that platform. Again, we're a featured podcast on Newsly. You can listen to us on there later tonight as an audio-only episode. I want to also let people know we have, for those just listening, we have the www.rolloflove.com as uh, your URL. Uh, And um, that will be fully clickable when we're published on major podcast platforms. So if people click on that, what do they they see when they uh, reach that URL? They're going to see I've got a book available. That's called The Role of Love. And I've got also a journal available. It's the Role of Love journal. And they'll be able to see the, a, a dice that I created that has the love languages on it as well. That's cool. So that's what we like to let people know that they should click on the URLs of the guests that we have on the show to get additional information. And that will just give you a little deeper dive into who we're talking to. And tonight, um, what we wanted to talk about is our topic is mechanics have tools, carpenters have tools, finally a tool for love. That's our subject today. And uh, we'll bring you back to your the link for your web, the website so people can check that out. But uh, maybe you can talk about uh, that book or unless you want to talk about maybe your background before you get into the book. Yeah, why don't I just, uh, Phantom, why don't I just give a little bit of background about me because it's really how it, I stumbled into this. And, and it's just kind of one of those things that you you kind of fall into something once in a while and it just it seems to be this worked for me. Maybe it might work for somebody else. And we just have those opportunities once in a lifetime. And I just this became one of those once in a lifetime things for me. But I wanted to give a little back background about my family because I think that what I had was actually a generational thing. And I think it applies to a lot of people in, in the world. A lot of people have whatever their parents taught them. It was generation, generationally what their parents taught them and so forth. And it just goes down until someone along the way decides, I'm going to change that. And so my grandfather was born in Indiana and had nine children with his first wife. And that wife, after that ninth child, suddenly passed away. We don't know if it was part of the childbirth complications or what it was. But he was so distraught about that, as anybody would be, that their spouse had passed away. But he was so distraught that he decided, I'm going to sell the farm. I'm going to sell all this equipment. And when people came to the auction, he also said, and would you like this child? And would you like this child? And would you like this child? Until systematically all nine children, except for one, had been given away Wow! as part of the auction. So he, he just felt like his life was falling apart. He just couldn't handle all that. So he moved to Montana, went, uh, thought, heard about the Homesteading Act. This was in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that he heard about the Homesteading Act, went to Montana, tried a, a new start, found a school teacher that had never been married, married her, had 10 children with her, and of which my father's number six. So he's number 15 out of 19 children. And wow. 
my father was born in 1922. So when my father was 10 years old in 1932, my grandfather, his father passed away. So now, now you have 19 children that are, are suffering from abandonment. But think of the time period too. 1932, the Great Depression's going on all across the country. So now, not only do you have that abandonment for the kids, you have now financial pressures. With those financial pressures, my father couldn't finish school. He only made it through eighth grade. So with an eighth grade education, he was able to get a job as a truck driver. So in, when I was growing up, and I'm number 10 of 11 children, he only had 11 children compared to his father that had 19. He did pretty good, right? Yeah, and I only have eight, so I'm, I'm scaling down. Phantom yeah, is getting a lot better. Life gets better when you learn lessons of history, right? So yeah. anyway, so so I'm number ten of eleven children, and when he would come home from work, um, he'd be gone for the week. Come home on Friday. Every Friday, I love this about my father. Every Friday, he would date my mother. It was just wow. a beautiful example of someone that loved his the women in his life. Now, I only have two sisters, but I'm the thorn between those two roses. One older sister, one younger sister, and all the rest are boys. So the boys, oh, wow. will, be, boys will be boys. And, you know, it's, it's the couples meeting after a, 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 a time away from each other. They say, how was your week? How was your week? And blah, blah, blah. And it goes down. And it's, I would imagine my mother started at the oldest on this date. The date was always, I mean, my father wasn't very creative. This is a creative podcast, but he was not very creative when he went on the date. It was always the Maverick bar, always with alcohol. And then it would be this this dive into, tell me how your week was. Well, I being that youngest boy, she'd tell about all these other boys. And like I said, boys will be boys. I had brothers that rode motorcycles and one brother, I remember we'd, he'd ride it in the clinic parking lot be, behind our house. And once in a while, he'd catch the chain that says no trespassing. He'd catch that in the motorcycle and he'd flip or something bad would happen. And so we had broken arms, wow. we had broken legs, we had broken this and that all through the week. And so what's happening to my dad as my mother's explaining this, I can just imagine. I wasn't ever there, but I can imagine he's getting annoyed. He's getting annoyed. He's getting annoyed. He's getting annoyed. He's going to blow. And he's just starting building up that steam ready to blow. And I think that's something that just, it was a coping mechanism. So by the time they're to number 10 child, he's ready to really, really blow. And so I felt, I felt that maybe I'm just, uh, just because of where I was in the, in the pecking order, I felt like a lot of that anger or a lot of that annoyance was dumped right on me. As as the youngest, oh, you, you, you got hit as the last one. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I think well, I I, I either got the belt or I got a, a just a heavy duty spanking. Uh, Phantom, I remember one spanking that was so bad that I remember being black and blue for three weeks or more. It was just wow. it was that type of situation. It was just and it was just, back in the time period. It was like Ghostbusters. Who are you gonna call? And it was yeah, just, nobody called, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't. The, we didn't have the all the uh, associations and everything, sure. all the, the now, infrastructure yeah. that we've got right now. We didn't have that back then. So I just thought it was just a family thing. I just keep it to yourself and just keep your nose to the 
to the grindstone and just do what you're supposed to do. And so I, I learned to, to keep the rules is what I did. I remember taking um, at age 17, taking an interest test. And because I was such a, a stickler for keeping rules because of that upbringing, they said I'd be a great mm -hmm. IRS agent. <laughs> and, and, yeah, you know, actuary or tax, tax man. <laughs> yeah, just, just go collect the taxes. And, and you're not keeping the rules. We're going to have to give you a penalty. And I would just yeah. kind of have no mercy because because the rules were more more important, and that's how I was taught. Yeah, you're into rules. Yeah, but rules so, made you feel secure, right? That was like your security. That's like your floor, right? It kind of kind of was a floor, but I didn't want that type of atmosphere, and it was really upsetting. I remember having a residual a lot of residual anger in my in my adulthood. I left home at age 17, went to live with uh, an older brother, uh, and and he was transferred to California. But while I was living with him, my brother was really trying to be a, the best father he could. But I could see he had the exact same thing my father had and the exact same yes, thing I, I was trained to do, to be annoyed, 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 and then flash. And just have those flash flashes out. of ang angers that you just don't know where they're coming from. It's almost like a knee-jerk reaction. It's a reflex reaction rather than anything thought out. You really weren't mm -hmm. thinking about what you're saying. You really weren't thinking about the the decibel value of your voice. You weren't thinking about anything of that. It was just a flash, just just flashed. It happened. So you guys didn't have a way to cope. Like we didn't, you know, nobody was probably getting into the psychology of it or the idea yeah. that you have to be able to kind of shake something off in a constructive way rather than a destructive way. Those things came later when maybe you started reading about it or talk to counselors or talk to, to, to people to, to try to figure out what's going on. Absolutely. But in that time, like I'm a child, I'm 55, I'm a child of the seventies. And, you know, my parents were taught by people who came up during the thirties. Uh, you know, they came up in the thirties and it, it was corporal punishment. You know, it was yeah. like, it was the oh, parental, yeah. like I, I got the belt, my, my brother, we were three brothers and that's what they knew. And we kind yeah. of learned like we don't like getting hit by the belt, so we try to stay squeaky clean. But they, you know that is the kind of age we 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 grew up in. Well, it's so funny that they say don't hit, and then here they are whooping you and spanking you really bad. I mean, it's just they didn't see the the disparity there. I remember my yeah, brothers, I remember my brothers in in high school actually their wood shop project, Phantom. If you can imagine this, their wood shop project was to create a paddle. A wooden oh, paddle geez. with a handle, and then in that paddle, it had this the um, the drill bit would go down just a little bit, so it would have little places that when you got hit with that paddle, it'd leave a welt on you. So it, it had oh, these geez. little little drill bit holes all over the place, and the paddle, and it was it was probably six inches wide, and and they'd bring that home and they gift that to my dad. Don't do that. What do you do that for? Why would you do that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, that's the mindset, though. I mean, if you don't know, if you think that's what the structure should be, that, like you say, you repeat it or you get brought, you bought into it. You know, so, so you buy, you, you, you know, as a kid, you go, that's the authority, right? So you're going to, you're going to defer to your father and your mother's authority and think that that is, you know, I was a sociology major. So you're going to feel that's the norm, right? Yeah. That That's the norm you're getting at well, a microcosm, or, microcosm level not the macrocosm, which overall society. Yeah. But then you've got, you know, 
you got the you got the problems at the microcosm that you bring into the macrocosm. Like it's Absolutely. always like you've got all those kind of inner child issues and unresolved or things, beliefs like you think you're not good enough, or if your parents made you feel you're not good enough, or you're doing something wrong. You, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. You don't know what you can do other than what you were told you can't do. Yeah. You know, so that kind of mindset. So it works with the parents, just what you're talking about. The that that structure, that uh, socioeconomic structure works with parents, but it also works with the siblings. I'm number 10. I didn't get a chance to walk up to the TV and turn the button, except they'd tell me to do it because they're too darn lazy themselves. They'd send, send me, send their younger brother, you're my slave. You go change the channel for me. We didn't have the remotes back then, so yeah. so that was that was my job. But I had this, this this residual anger phantom. I had this residual anger that that transferred into my adult life as well, and it was that same anger to to uh, be annoyed at what something else somebody did, and then and just uh, flash after a while. And, uh, you know, as much as I tried, I say I'm not going to be angry. And it was you making a negative statement like that. It's not like math. It's not like that two negatives make a positive. They don't. They absolutely don't. Not in that social setting. So what I was trying to do was just overcome that. And I realized that after a while that, yeah, I've got I think I need to get a little bit of help here. And uh, it occurred to me that up until about age 35 that I was blaming my father for failed relationships. I was blaming my father for awkwardness and social situations, just things that, that felt like I had holes in my life, just holes in my upbringing that I was blaming him for. At, when I was 35, he'd already been dead seven years. Mm. Here I am blaming my father, and he's gone already. He has no no way to defend himself, no way to to refute it, no way to apologize, no way to do anything about it. I'm still blaming him. And at 35, I, I realized that, oh, I woke up just one day and thought, oh, I'm responsible for my own things that I do. I'm responsible for everything that I do in my life. I'm an adult. Took me to age 35 to realize that. So I feel like, Phantom, that that, that flashing and that, that anger that was um, left over from my childhood actually was part of the demise of my first marriage. I was married 23 and a half years, had eight children, as I mentioned. And so I come into a point in my life that I'm, I'm single again. And I have the children. I have primary custody of the children. So when it's her weekend, my ex-wife's uh, turn to have the children for the weekend, I decided I'm going to have some fun. So I had a mid, little midlife crisis, and I decided I'm going to do some destination dating. I'm going to have a great time. And I, I did. I, I, I decided I was going to travel to um, have a date. And so I'd find somebody online and then they're in a different city than I was. And we'd pick a city, we'd meet, we have a date and then go back home. And so I, I went to Daytona Beach. I went to Jacksonville, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, Charlotte, North Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, Nashville, Kansas City, New York City, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Salt Lake City, Cabo San Lucas, Snowflake, Arizona, a lot of places that I went for these destination dates. And it was like the song, Phantom, was like looking for love in all the wrong places. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and I felt like that's what I was doing. I was just looking for love. I wasn't finding it. And I, I, I realized at this time that um, you know maybe I was a little bit lonely. 
And um, so I, I moved, had moved to Phoenix by this time. And my sister, older sister, um, had a neighbor that she wanted to introduce to me. So she called me up and said, I got this neighbor, want to make the introduction. I said, and she was seven, lived seven hours away. I, by that time, I was done with destination dating. I said, seven hours? I don't want to travel anymore. I don't want to do this. And so I was done. And she said, she's older sister. She said, oh, come on. And just like I was raised, you got to do what big sister says. Oh, so you did it, yeah. So so I started, I, well, I really kind of halfway, lightheartedly started, oh, I'll email her or I'll message her. And what, what kind of relationship could you get that way? But actually, it was really fun. She was a great writer. And we had great exchanges in the emails. And so I started getting a little close to her and said, this is, she's kind of, there's a live wire here. And so I started, she's got some personality. And so I started uh, getting a little closer and it got to the point that I wanted to come up and visit her. So I left Phoenix and went went the seven hours, left at 5, 8, 5 p.m. right after work, got there at midnight, would leave at 5 p.m. Sunday, get back to Phoenix at midnight and just do it over several weeks in a row like that. And then I decided I'll just move up to where my sister was and, and we developed a, a better relationship so now it came time to go have big brother approval. We're to that point in the relationship. I need a big brother approval on this on this neighbor of my sister. We go into his house and my sister-in-law pulls her aside and point blank says, the only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up was anger. At first I said, uh-uh, denied it. And then it made me mad. Mm -hmm. I thought, huh, she nailed it. And, and I thought, at that moment that I've been working on this a long time, trying to get away from being angry. And I thought, if that is still the, the, the still feeling, or, yeah, if, if that's still the, the, uh, uh, if that's still the, the emotion or the, the, the feeling that, that comes from meeting a Zolman, then I have an opportunity to change that right here and now. I can make that generational change and just let's do something different. So I started reading the color code and I started reading the, the five love languages because at the time I thought, what would be the opposite of anger? If anger is how we were raised, what would be the opposite? And what, what different things do I need to do? What's the and, and other end of the spectrum? And I thought, you know, let's, let's put love at the other, other end of the spectrum. So I liked the love languages because to me, anger had its own vocabulary and it has its own humor and it has its own little nuances. It has its own, its own little culture all by itself. And I thought love is on the other end of the spectrum. I want to know what that is. To, to, to further illustrate spectrum, I, I was out walking the other day and I found, found a stick. It's a walking stick. And on one side of the stick, it's just really nice and smooth where you can put your hand and everything. But on the other side of the stick, you can see there's little points on there, little places that you wouldn't want to put your hand. And there are mm -hmm. little, knot, little knots there. So I call this side the naughty side of the stick and this side the nice side of the stick. It's just like a stick. I'm sure Santa Claus has a stick like that, naughty and nice. Yeah. And so, <laughs> So, so realizing right at that moment that anger is on the naughty side of the stick, I had I 
was able to figure out what I, where I needed to go, what I needed to do. Because when you have that self-actualization, you've got three choices. You can stay right where you're at. You can become worse or more angry, or you can become better or more loving. And I, I, staying the same would be what I was doing before, blaming other people, because when you can blame somebody, you don't have to change. Yep. It's their fault. Therefore, you don't have to change because you're perfect. It's their problem. And, and that blame game is really prevalent. A lot of people don't even recognize what they're doing. If they can blame someone, they're just, they, I mean, they don't have to do anything about it. I knew that I needed to do something about it. So I started reading the color code love languages. I read the love language four or five times, and I still didn't get it. Phantom, it was so hard for me. It was like, Phantom, if I, if I guess what your love language is, and if I cater to that, we're going to be buddies. I'm a bad guesser. That's not going to happen. <laughs> so, that, so that didn't work for me. And then the other uh, thing that uh, other application that Dr. Chapman has in his five love language book is that, well, if you take this survey, then I could find out what my love language is. Mm -hmm. well, what am I supposed to do with that? Hello, Phantom. I'm Gifts. What do you have for me today? Am I supposed to advertise like that? I mean, that's a, that's a little, little ridiculous. And it, it really was for me. I couldn't get the idea because if I told somebody what my love language was or what the survey said it was and they catered to that, it might be by duty or it might be by, uh, it might be another way. And to me, that wasn't love. It was just, and it gets it inadvertently creates this little pity party that says, well, I told you how to love me. How come you're not doing it? And I didn't want to even go there. Did not oh, want yeah. to even have that situation. So I thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I've got, I have a problem with the direction. Am I sending it out or I'm waiting for it to come to me? And I just didn't, didn't get it. So I, I talked to, or I uh, sent an email to Dr. Chapman asking him if he'd license those icons the little pictures they had for each one of the love languages. And his attorney wrote back and said, no, my idea was that I, as a child, I thought the games, that board games and that sort of, those sort of games brought our family together. And if anything mm -hmm. were, was to bring us together or bring this together for me, that would be something that would do it. So I talked to a, a copyright intellectual uh, property attorney in my town here, and th they found out that, Theory is not copyrightable. Application is. So I decided to make, make my own icons, and then I put it on a die. And so you mm -hmm. can see the different icons here. The ones I'm holding up, for those listeners that are, I'm holding up words right now, and it's two hands put together made into a heart with a conversation fly out. That's just the symbol for the words. So all these are pictures. There's no words on the die itself. The next mm -hmm. one is, is an hourglass on a hand representing time. So just pulling over, spend putting the brakes on just a little bit, spend a little bit more time with people on that day. The next one is a looks like a waiter that's holding a platter. That one's all about service. So that's the icon for service. Mm -hmm. And we've got two hands touching one another. That's for touch. And then there's and there's a, a picture of a gift. So those are the five love languages, six sides on the dice. The sixth side I made was surprise me. 
So on that day, you know, I lived just a couple hours north of Las Vegas. Uh, it could be called dealer's choice. A lot of people yeah. like that word, dealer's choice. Yeah. But I, I, I named it Surprise Me. So on that day, you just can choose choose what love language you want to practice that day or watch for all of the opportunities to love. Just two instructions of the game, Pantom. You roll the die every day. That's the love language you practice giving away all day that day. In this whole process, Phantom, what I found is that I can't bid love to come my way. I can't tell somebody to love me or how they should love me. And mm -hmm. the second thing is, I if I g gave my primary love language away, expecting it to come back in reciprocity, to me, I found out that that's a transaction. That's like, let's make a deal. And that's not love either. What true love is, is giving away service or any of these love languages, giving it away without any expectation of it ever coming back. Mm -hmm. Trusting, absolutely trusting that it's the law of the harvest or it's the law of attraction. What you send out is going to come back to you. Could be many days. It could maybe never come back. It might come back in a different way, but it's going to come back to you. And it's back to the basics of trusting what whatever you send out, trusting that it's going to come back. No longer do we have to sit around, wait for love to come our way. We don't. We have to send it out and then just expect that you, we're not expecting anything, but we're going to be gratified along the way. Let me tell you a couple ways that that's going to happen. One thing is if, if say, for example, you're on touch for that day, that you're, you rolled touch and you're looking for people to do the high five, the, the fist bumps, or just give them a hug. Maybe somebody just needs a hug that day. You're watching for the opportunity, the right moment to be able to do that throughout the day. And while after you've done that, when they light up, or when they become emotional, or when they say, I needed that, then you've made their day. You've up, you've lifted someone up, and, and, and you've lit them up. I like to say, you, you light people, when you light people up, you're absolutely doing a great favor for them, because what they're, what's most likely to happen is that they're going to take that good feeling that they have from what you've done or said, and they're going to pass it around to their circle of influence helping others also have a good day. You remember when you're in the lunch line at school way back when, and somebody slugs you in the shoulder and they say, pass it on. And if you don't pass it on, like you get double double or triple or you just get beat up if you didn't do it. And and you remember those days, right, Phantom? Well, that this is kind of like that, only it's more pay it forward. Send the love out, just keep sending it out. That day that you're, actually lighting somebody up is a payday for you. It's a payday then, but it also will be a payday later. It's something you're seed, planting seeds. So you you plant now, you harvest, and then those that'll harvest some seeds and then you, you'll harvest again. And it's just something that you want to build build a character like that for yourself. And you want that's how I'm what I'm talking about, staying in your lane too. You're not looking to other people for annoyance at all. You're looking what's right about that person. What can I love about that person? Instead of what I was doing to be annoyed, I was figured out I was looking at and saying, what's wrong with that person? And then I could be annoyed. I'd be annoyed with what was wrong with them. But that's not even my choice. 
if even if I wanted to, how am I going to change what they're doing wrong? Yeah. I, can't, I can't do it. It's not my choice. So it's out of my wheelhouse. It's out of my lane. Stay in your lane and you'll be a lot happier. It's just, it's going to be a happier life. It's a more optimistic point of view. <clears throat> because if you're in this kind of pessimistic point of view, only looking at the flaws, looking at the negatives, right. kind of like the law of attraction. If you're, if you're coming out, if you're putting out signals that you're prickly and you're annoyed and you're agitated, you're, it's doubtful if you're in a crowd and you're sending out that vibe, people kind of pick up that vibe and you're probably not going to bring anybody around you. Right, like we're the opposite where you're going and saying they show people love and they didn't expect it and you're not expecting anything back. That is like something that people would look at. Wow. They, 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 they're, that's going to draw more attention and the kind of positive attention that could connect, have create a potential connection where somebody could like, wow, you know, who is this person? And then they want to ask the question and then they want to find out and then they want to talk to you. And then that, that creates communication, a bridge. Mm-hmm. Rather than having like, you know, a barrier. Like if you're just annoyed and you're sending out that vibe, you're annoyed. You create like a barrier right from the start. Yeah. Well, an anger begets anger. Is just just like what you're saying. You send out anger, you're going to get an immediate return on that. They're going to be angry, and most likely it's going to be ten times angrier than what you sent out. So just beware what you're magnifying. You know, I like to use the magnifying glass. Magnifying glass actually m- makes things bigger. So why do we focus on the faults, the weaknesses, the misgivings, the, 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 why do we focus on that in other people? Do we want it to get bigger? We're not even thinking through that. If, we're, if we magnify that, we focus on that, that is going to get bigger. Mm-hmm. That's not, I'm sure that's not what we want. What we really want is we want their their um divine traits or their their good traits to show up we want that part to actually be magnified and growth and sometimes what i found phantom is that when i'm talking to people or noticing something really good that they're doing and try to express how i like what they're doing they're so surprised at the way i'm saying it that they've never even thought of it themselves that that's what they were doing how good it was what they're doing. And so it makes them feel a lot better. Oh, that is really cool. I'm glad I'm doing it. And they want to do it more because they'll, they'll want that praise and they'll want that that um, that notice that people have people notice about that. And it's really not about, you know, it changes the whole direction. It's Dr. Chapman said it's to significant other people. And, it, and, it, and then you take the test to find out what your love language is. So people can love you. That's really kind of uh, self-centered. And this this isn't like that at all. It's all it's forget about you. It's always about them. And I'm sorry for those people that think it's about them. It's really it's really not. It's about the other people, and it's about it's about who you can serve. And when you forget yourself that way, you actually find yourself. You actually find out who you are, and that you choose to be this character. You choose to stay in your lane. You choose to be that person that's sending out love without any recompense. Well, I think it's important to have that kind of connection uh, with with other people. And, you know, like, you know, if you come from a, a family that was very judgmental or kind of like go, immediately having a trigger 
looking for defaults, looking for the bad things, wanting to report about the bad things, then escalating, the kind of getting into that rage thing. It's like if you change that, you're changing the mindset. You're changing because, like you said, you own your father's not around. You owned your mindset. Right. Like you, you were blaming your father for your mindset, but then you realize, like I own my mindset. No, I'm so sure. like I'm an adult. I can actually go and figure out why do I do this, right? And then figure out what your trigger is, and try to try to reduce. If you understand your triggers, you can respond to them in a better way. Mm -hmm. You can learn to not respond, and not escalate, or come up with a different pattern. And once you you retrain your brain, you get a new pathway of like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm not going to do this thing. I'm do like I'm not doing like B. I'm going to do C. Yeah. I always do B, and I'm going to jump to C. I'm going to do something different. So you can retrain your brain to do different things, and then the, your your behavior will align, right? Absolutely. So what happened with me, and and it was a miracle. I I thought I found something, but I didn't know how profound it actually was. And that's kind of why I'm here today is because it worked so well and I still use it. I still roll the die every day. But for rolling the die every day for 30 days, what I found is that I learned the five love languages backwards and forwards because it's not going to be the same thing every day. It leaves a little bit to chance. Mm -hmm. People like people don't like the same thing. I, I wouldn't want to eat a hamburger every single day. I mean, people don't like the same thing every day. So it provides that variety, number one. Second thing is that it gave me knowledge of those love languages that I knew them backwards and forwards. So much so that I could see it when it came my way. No longer am I just in that channel of I can only see my primary love language. I can see, I can see them all, and I see them all now as love coming my way. It may not be my primary love language, but I can see, oh, they're loving on me. It's over here, but I can see that they're loving on me. I can respond in love as well. And you just feel it's it's not no longer is it just, oh, that's really nice, but I don't that's not that that's not my love language. It no longer is it like that, but you can see it as love itself. That's mm -hmm. coming your way, respond appropriately. You see in all the aspects of love because it's more expansive. Like well, if you're only picking one out of five, yeah. then you're giving yourself a, like a very narrow lane. And what you find, you know, I'm a kind creative person. Yeah, yeah, what I find as a creative person, I don't like being stuck in in one lane. I like to go into multiple things. And like sometimes there's a fear. Like if you get really good at something, then it's hard to like to try something different, right? Yeah. Because you try something different or you're used to something. You could be used to a codependency and you don't get out of it because you're used to it. Yeah, and you're fearful to get out of it because, like, even though the codependency is painful, you're that's what you're used to. But it's hard to actually change. It's the fear of doing something different and not knowing what's going to happen. But you have to kind of take that kind of leap um, to go into what's hard, which is going to be something different, which is something unknown. The unknown right. is going to be fearful, and when you do something's more random, it's not as predictable. Right. Yeah. So then it's going to be, but it's like, that's the way that you grow. You grow because you have to kind of get out of that wanting the same thing over and over. Cause what does that give you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. When I was um, 17 years old, I moved with my brother to California 
And uh, I'd learned how to drive in Montana. And, you know, you're just dodging cows and that sort of thing. Montana, you're do- <laughs> in Los Angeles, you're dodging cars. And it's just, yeah, it's and you're moving heavy. from lane to lane. And it's very exciting. And it's very fun. For a 17-year-old, I felt like I was Mario Andretti on the, on the speedway. I thought that this is the greatest <laughs> thing that ever happened to me. And you'll find that with love, that if you'll step out of your box a little bit, step out of your comfort zone, because just like like we talked about, most people feel like if they give away their love language, they're hoping for that reciprocity. But to me, that's a transaction. It's like, let's make a deal. Then that's that really doesn't work. It's not mm-hmm. love. So if they step out of their box a little bit and give something else away and just keep doing that, they'll learn something else that they, they might like something different. What And we're back to that generational thing that's passed on from our parents. Our parents may have taught us only one, maybe one flavor of love that this they they operated in that in that vernacular most of the time, and because of that, that might be our primary love language. It was learned rather than anything else. More more learned. Mm-hmm. So if we move out of that, I found that uh, uh, physical touch was my primary love language, according to Dr. Chapman. Because if I didn't feel whacked when I was a kid, I didn't feel loved. But but now, now that I practice these different languages, words is more my favorite, favorite to receive. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think there's a couple of things that we probably need to clarify here, Phantom, is that there's a favorite to receive, but we're not, talk, we're not really talking about that. We're talking about a favorite to give at this point in time. What do we like to give and how do we like to send love out? And, and I think that probably service is my one of my favorite words is also one of my favorites to send out i like to i like to get words back too but um service and words are are something that i really like to send out well i think that's they're more like going to connect you like what well, if you the words are communication and i think a lot of times you know if you came from a, a kind of a situation that's codependency or dysfunctional in some ways the communication might not have been open it yeah. might have been kind of top down and it's yeah. not like not free, right. free flowing, and you didn't really have a voice. Dick you were kind of put in, yeah. yeah, you could put in, yeah. in like a position. Yeah, like number, 10, like number 10 person. of 11. Number yeah, 10 of 11, person. I didn't have a voice. Yeah, you're totally a low person on the totem pole. Yeah. You're low in the, in, the, in the strata. I'm a middle kid. I'm in the middle oh. kid. So I had my older brother was seven years older, and my younger brother is like two years younger. So I ended up being in the kind of diplomat position. Yeah, I, I would be like the one that would be kind of like well, he like I was always kind of like in a steady state, like I I could I could solve the fights because mm. I, 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 I was fine that like I was in the middle like uh, negotiating everything. <laughs> uh, good for you. Good. That's a great position, you know. And I think that the communication is really um, important too. You know, I I I'm testing this right now in a school system. And it's a, a kind of a, a that goes to about eighth grade, but but they stay in the same classroom. So the whole idea is that if they roll the die in the morning, and it takes two seconds to roll the die, whatever that love language comes up, the teacher can explain that love language for maybe thirty seconds. So you're only spending thirty-five seconds, maybe at the most a minute on it in the morning, and then let let it go through, let it distill on the kids, and let them go through the day. At the end of the day, what I've developed is a journal page 
so they so they can they can write what they rolled that day what opportunities they saw to love in that way that day and what they did about those opportunities so unlike me having to wait till age 35 to feel like oh i'm i'm accountable i'm responsible yeah. and, and until not to have that realization so late in life let's teach the children yeah you are accountable you you've got you're responsible for how you act in school all day long so beginning of the day you roll the die end of the day you write the journal page which actually becomes a love journal the teacher marks pass fail checks checks that whether you did it or not and then sends it home so a smart parent would actually keep that journal page compile them all together at the end of that first grade or the end of that third grade or whatever and put it together in a book now guess what you've got You've got a love journal for first grade or third grade or fifth grade or whatever it is. You've got a love journal. Now, fast forward 10 years, fast forward 20 years, you look back on that and say, oh, look at that. Look what I loved in that classroom. Look how I loved my teacher. Look how I loved the other people in that, in that room. And it's going to create a memory hook for you that you'll cherish probably the rest of your life something that you will love the rest of your life. And if you can create that in those early years, hopefully they would take that and duplicate it or magnify it in, in the junior high and in the high school and even more as an adult, trying to get the bullying out of the, out of the school system, get the, yeah. get the misbehaving out of the school system, get all the, the violence out of the school system, tamp it down, but teach it. You've got to replace it just like I had to replace anger. I couldn't just say, I don't want to be angry anymore, or you don't want to do that type of behavior. And how much time does the teachers spend on behavior in the school yeah. day anyway? That <laughs> yeah. wastes, wastes a lot of time. This actually creates more time for them because now it's a loving environment. And in that loving environment, those kids are going to learn a whole lot more than if it's a hostile environment. Also, you're not doing it top down like a rule. Like you know, if you you're in school, you've got a principal and a vice principal yeah. set up a rule, and then you're going to get put in detention. You're going to get demerits. You're going to get sent home. Versus doing something that's more sociological, psychological, right, and actually putting it into the kid's voice. Well, it's self governing. Yeah, you're self. Yeah, you're you're actually creating self discipline. You're creating discipline, yeah. self discipline, yeah. where somebody's actually doing an assessment where I think this is the problem where we teach all the, all the, all the you know, math and arithmetic and whatever, all the sciences, but we don't teach about human behavior, right? You later, you have to spend a bunch of money to go to a psychologist or, 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 or like a life coach, but they never, they don't teach these things. So I think it's very cool. It's the first time I've talked to somebody who's an author. I've talked to a lot of life coaches that say that, you know, the schools need to have something like this, but I've never seen somebody actually implement what you're talking about at a school they've taught they kind of dealing with people after they're broken oh yeah not trying, not trying to do it to kind of stop people from being broken but kind of dealing with it after the fact yeah this is a preventive definitely a preventive measure measure i've, I've got a, a yogurt land franchisee locally that is cooperating with me and if they'll if they'll do this for 15 days of the month if they'll keep that journal and, and keep right what behavior they had, what they loved, or what opportunities they saw to love, and how they um, uh, 
what they did about those opportunities. If they'll do that for at least 15 days of the month, he's going to give them five ounces of yogurt for free. Oh, wow. That's cool incentive. Give them a little certificate. <laughs> if they do it for 25 days in a month, almost a whole month, and they can do it at home even when they're not at school. If they do it at home and just pick one of the love languages to practice that day at home, they can write down what they picked and what the opportunities they saw and what they did about those opportunities. If they do it for 25 days in a month, he'll give them 10 ounces of yogurt for free. And it's just kind of an incentive for those children to let's be better people. We can be a better person, send yeah. out love without any expectation, but just do it. Just do it because it's the right thing to do. It's the better thing to do. It's the happy thing to do. Well, you're coming up with like, like you said at the beginning, you know, mechanics have tools, you know, carpenters have tools, you know, scientists have tools. And we forgot about like the human interaction, yeah. socialization tools that people need to have. I mean, they used to have, you know, maybe they would teach you like manners back oh, yeah. in the 50s, but that was still kind of top down. This is more thinking. Yeah, this is, they had finishing schools. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they taught you how to kind of have the etiquette, but was that really trying to communicate? It was more trying to present, you know, yeah. trying to present an image right? or, or how, how you're supposed to act, but it wasn't really asking you the question. Like you're asking the questions. You're asking people to do some self-assessment, mm -hmm. to do something that's a little, you know, that's a deeper. That's the kind of, the thing as a creative person, like a lot of what we do, is like you know writers like like songwriters we try mm -hmm. to dive in our psyche and find something that's painful most yeah, of the time and turn it into art and express it to people and see if people actually have the same experience and if they did then they usually like what you wrote and yep. they kind of you know find the same that this, they that the same thing happened to them that they find your lyrics and they realize that your voice is something that they felt too and they never they were like this guy's this person's voice and what i felt but i didn't know how to say it so like, if you can get people to do that kind of assessment of like the creative people do when they create art, you know, is there to get people to understand how to communicate better with themselves and then they can communicate better with other people. Yeah. Phantom, I, I would absolutely love it if you would create a song about what I just told you. And, and, and I think it's worth a song. It could be a country song. For, for <laughs> many things yeah, that went wrong in my life, it actually could be a country song because it sounds like it could be a country song. And it, was yeah, just, it sounds like an Americana kind of exactly. Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash kind of, you know, Waylon Jennings, like, you know. There you go. Uh, Campbell, Glenn Campbell type of idea. Yeah. Uh, because they, they were, they're just telling stories. Like people have kind of forgotten about music that actually tells a story. You know, and the country music is famous, at least the older kind of brand of telling stories and actually connecting. And they're trying to get people to kind of to understand that a lot of times today, things are just like, like jingles. They're right. just like, you know, they're just like, like a, just a set of lyrics to kind of uh, just in, entrance people or inflame people. <laughs> you you, you kind of want to get back to actually telling a story. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that music also is a tool. It's one of those tools that we can we can express love through music as well, and I think that you know you and and the the people on this podcast are doing that. There is as we express our creativity and trying to find better ways to do things. Music is one of those ways that it kind of provides a segue. I remember just growing up that that 
I can remember a song. I can remember where I was when I was listening to that song or when I first heard that song. And it just kind of develops a timeline for you. And I think that there, it should be it's fitting that that you're talking about the tools, the mechanic tools and, and the, the plumber tools, whatever tools there are out there. Now we've got a love tool. And if we, the, if we can use music and also this love tool to help be, better our love lives, everybody's going to be a lot happier. Instead of sending that rage out, instead of sending that anger out that's coming right back to you and in even greater force, we know that. Why would we even send it out? Why yeah, would we do that? We all know that it's going to come back. It, it just it, It's going to be multiplied as it comes back. So let's stop sending the rage out. Start sending the love out. Start little. Start just with the roll of the die. Start just one day at a time. I can guarantee. And what's what was really fascinating for me is that it only took me 30 days to change this mindset. To the mindset of what's wrong with people and that critical path of going down that and being annoyed, 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 changing from that mindset to or a willy-nilly mindset that I don't know if I'm going to get mad today, but if I get mad, I'm going to be mad and it's going to be okay. Instead of that willy-nilly mindset, now you've got a, a purposeful mindset, intentional mindset that I'm going to love. I'm going to find something to like or love about that person. I'm going to find something right about that person that I can talk about, something that maybe they don't even know that's right about them. And I'm going to help lift them up. I'm going to light people up all day long. And it just becomes addicting in that way that you can help people have a better day. Well, it's like the idea of sending out that, that love vibration. I mean, there was a Stevie Wonder song in the 70s yeah. that said one your love. That came from like a rock opera he wrote. Oh, actually, yeah. It was about plants actually sending vibrations to each other. And people heard that song, Send One to Love, they immediately thought it was about like a romantic thing. But it was actually about plants sending it, vibrations to each other. Right, but but people heard vibration. what they wanted to hear. Yeah, they good wanted vibe. to hear what they wanted to hear. But it's just like if you beach boys, good vibrations. But the idea is sending out that positivity. Yeah, you know, you will get back. It's if you send one your love, you get to get it back, right? If you if you're expecting it, but if you actually take the act of sending that positivity out, right? You're actually going and you you flipping through your die, and 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 figuring out what language you're going to be today, and maybe it's in service, or maybe it's communication. Or maybe it's actually, like you said, hugging somebody. That, yeah. that to me, that is a very positive mindset versus what you were talking about where you're like looking for the defects, yeah. looking for the problems. Yeah. Looking you know, to kind of put, put this person in this category and that person in that category. Like oh, we're, that, that doesn't really help. <laughs> it doesn't help. And, and it doesn't help that the media keeps training us that way. That love doesn't sell, but hate does. And it sells really well. And I mean, yeah. the media is a great example of that. One other thing I want to bring up, Phantom, before we close today, is that that there there are a few words that come from the Sanskrit dialect in northern India. We we get the word nirvana, which is kind mm -hmm. of a, a wonderful wonderful situation. We get the word karma, but the word I want to talk about especially is the word called namaste. Namaste is, is at the end of a yoga class, usually the, the instructor will bow their head, close their eyes, and, and put their hands together in a praying type of position. That's the, kind of the emoji, the praying emoji uh, position. And then they'll say namaste. 
And the Hindu interpretation of that is that the God in me sees the God in you. Mm-hmm. Or, or the divine in me. Yeah, or the divine in me sees the divine in you. So we're watching for the good parts of each other. And and that's what the yeah, namaste yeah. is really all about. It's a it's a very reverent, it's a very sacred greeting in, in the Southeast um, Asia area. And it's it's not something to be taken lightly. It's not no. it's it's not it's not the word you hear when when you wake up your teenage son and and find out, ask him, are you going to get out of bed? He's going to say, <laughs> Namaste in bed. Yeah. <laughs> not, no, that's not it. And and that's that's that's, that's a, a no, that's not it. That's a corruption of the word. This Namaste yeah, yeah. in bed. That's not it. Or now I'm going to stay in my pajamas. I mean, that's not that's not what we're talking about. We're talking yeah, about yeah. the the sacred part of that word is seeing the good in each other. Well, yeah, in the social media, we need a lot of namaste because um, the problem is like, you know, it's like anything, it, it got transactional. And so mm-hmm. so a lot of times what happens in social media, like the millions of views happen when you do something outrageous or you do oh. something that is exaggerated or you do something that's mean, then you get more views. But just because you get more views doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. That's where people have kind of made the disconnect because – the, the more money you make doesn't necessarily mean that you're the most moral person in the world. Uh, Just because yeah. you're a billionaire doesn't mean that you're the best person in the world. Right? You have to look at what you do. Uh, so people have kind of misunderstood and actually you know, look at wealth or numbers to represent something that's right without looking at what is the heart or the soul uh, or that mindset that you were talking about with Namaste. It's like, like that doesn't necessarily have to equate to money. Yeah, yeah exactly. you know, equate to popularity or equate to views. And I think that's where people are making a mistake. Because, it's you know, true. as an artist, I just try to do what I feel. Mm-hmm. If it connects, I don't think about like some survey is going to make it do a million hit uh, plays. I like write what I feel. If it does all right, that's fine. I'm not trying to market specifically anything I do. I do it because I feel it because I like music. I love music. I do music because I love it. Uh, and if I love it, other people will love it because they feel I'm infectious about it. I'd rather go with that than try to, you know, jump on a trend. I'm not into the trend. <laughs> character is a whole lot deeper, deeper than, and it can be very deep. And it just, we want to emit that character. We want to send it out and hopefully it's, it's good. And, and let's choose, just choose the better part. It's going to be a better life. Well, thank you. I think that what you've talked here is a lot of really cool tools. The fact that you're introducing it into schools, because uh, I've talked to a lot of therapists and a lot of like coaches that kind of deal with the after effects of, of what you've talked about. Well, even in your life, you've kind of had those situations, but you, now you're you're paying it forward and doing something for the next generation to come up with an idea that will help just not, not just a single person, but young people that maybe are not being taught as this is not being something that's valued as a lesson. But I think people should watch this episode and check out your website again, rolllove.com, um, because uh, this, this is a really good lesson. That's why I like to talk to people on this podcast and bring out you know all kinds of golden nuggets of information that people maybe wouldn't have expected and just give them a chance to hear it and check it out. And so I do encourage people to click on that when it's available on all the podcast 
uh, platforms that we're on. We're on almost every place you can watch or hear a podcast. And we will give your um, audience, a, a we'll give you a landing page later that they can figure out where they ever they want to go. Perfect. Kind of where, you know, and then so they'll be able to find out, be available tomorrow. But we were on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Uh, that link will be clickable there once we're fully published. And thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you, Phantom. You're a great host. Have a great night. Thank you.